One of the things that leaders are struggling, struggling with at the moment, and you, you know about it, is balancing regulations that are instituted for not only leaders of businesses, leaders of governments as well, balancing regulations that are instituted for the common good with individual uh, conditions and situations. So questions like vaccinations, questions like do you come into the office or do you continue working at home? And they're really struggling with doing what's right for the organization, but also taking into consideration the conditions and the, and the lives of the people who are affected by those regulations. And in Toru, we have that as well. Uh, and here we have um, an, an interesting example. It's a slightly different sort of a, a, a shiur this morning. Um, we, we start with the, with the Gemara, Daf Yotesamut Beis, where the Gemara says, Omar Rabbi Chinana Bar Kahana Omar Rav, We've never found a case, since the time of Ezra, we've never found a case of Elul being a leap month, a month of 30 days. Does that really, is that possible that it never was? So there was no need to. If there was a need, they, they would have. There wasn't like a rule that they didn't, they didn't create a leap month. It just was never necessary. What does necessary mean, says Rashi? And on the next stuff we're going to learn, the two possible needs to be ma'aber, the month of, of Elul, would be so as to avoid Yom Tov being on an Erev Shabbos or on a Sunday, which would make it difficult for fresh vegetables, and it would make it difficult to bury the dead, particularly with Yom Kippur being uh, on, a, on a Friday, that would be two days. If somebody dies on, on the night of Yom Kippur on a Friday, then they wouldn't be able to bury him until Motzah Shabbos or Sunday. That's too long to leave a person. Um, and fresh vegetables you wouldn't see. So you see the Chachomim's concern about human condition. You don't just say, what can you do? It's got to be an Ibar HaKodesh. So you've, you've got to do that. We have another case of that. The, the Gemara on Daf Yutes also talks a lot about the leap year, such as this year, where you've got an extra month of Adar. But what's interesting is the Rambam in Kiddush HaKodesh Perek Dalad where the Rambam says, Ein et avon. You don't make a leap year during a time of famine. When, when things are difficult and there's no water and agriculture, you don't make a leap year. Once again, you see Chachomim's concern with the human condition. Even though the halacha requires that you make a leap year, but not if it's a Shnatra avon. granot because everybody's running to, to buy whatever they can, whatever's available to manage to eat and survive. And if you add an extra month, then there's an Isur Chodosh. They can't use the, the new wheat for an extra month. So you're making it even more rare. You're, you're, you're creating a, a, a scarcity. You're creating an, an artificial scarcity, which will affect the availability and the prices. Of, of the food, and that the Chachomim don't do. So here you see the Chachomim dealing with this balance of the human condition and the needs of halacha. And, and that's why I say bear, keep a parallel with, with the uh, way beyond the area of halacha. We all make regulations. We make rules for our families, and if we're running businesses or we're leading teams, we make rules for people. Uh, those rules affect their lives. What can you do? You've got to make, you've got to, the, the organization has to function. So how do you balance the needs of the organization with the needs of, of human beings? That's the principle that we're dealing with here in Halacha. And adds the Rambam, And you don't make a, a leap year during Shemitah year. 
שיד הכל שולטת על הספיחים, ולא ימצאו לקורבן העומר ושתי הלחם. Everybody's grabbing whatever they can from the free, from the hefker vegetables that are available, so everybody's taking, and there won't be, for the קורבן עומר and the שתי הלחם on Pesach and Shavuos, there won't be enough, uh, enough grain, enough food to be able to, to bring those קורבונוס. רגילים היו להבר בערב שביעיס, so they used to make the, the leap year before, the year before שביעיס. Now we know that this year is Shemitah year, and this year is a leap year. So what's happened? Why are we making a leap year in the Shemitah year? Says the Rambam in the next halacha, Yeroeli, it appears to me, שזה שאמרו חכמים אין מעברים בשנת רעבון ובשביעית, שלא יעברו בהם מפני צורך הדרכים והגשרים וכיוצא בהם. This is when the reason for the leap year is... Because of the, the rainfall and they want to make the roads, make sure the roads are accessible. So sometimes they make a leap year for weather conditions because they want the spring to start a little later in the year. Uh, and, and for Pesach, the people can, can, will be, won't, there won't be too much rain during the Aliyah Leregel. So they're watching the weather conditions and the needs of the people to go to Yerushalayim and backwards and forwards. And that's one of the considerations in the leap year because... As we know, if you only follow the lunar year, you get out of sync with the seasons. So one of the things you're looking at for the seasons is how it affects people's lives. And, and that's part of their decisions in deciding whether or not to make a leap year. But if for astronomical reasons it's just time to make a leap year, you've got to synchronize the two years. It's not because of the public convenience, or because of Aviv, Pesach must be in the spring. And if Pesach has slipped to the point where it's no longer in the spring, you've got to make a leap year. When you're doing it for that year, then then you don't take consideration of human condition, there you make a leap year. So we see it depends on the reasons for the regulation. That there are times when the regulation has to consider human conditions, and there are times when the regulations don't consider human conditions. And this is, again, important for leaders to understand, that, that if you're making a regulation that affects people, you've got to decide what category does this regulation fit into. Does it fit into one category A, in which case you've got to consider the human condition, or category B, in which case you don't have to consider the, the human condition? So let's have a look at, at, uh, at that a little bit further. So here I'm going to introduce you to a, a, a tshuva of the Sri Daesh. So the Sri Daesh is a most fascinating and very, very important uh, godel who died in the 1960s. He survived the Second World War as a, as a partisan. He was miraculously managed to survive that and then went to live in Montreux, in Switzerland, until, until he died. Um, and, and I have a particularly close connection to him because one of the most influential people in my learning and thinking life was Chaim Lifshitz, um, who's no longer alive, but he was a, a Rebbe and, an, and a mentor of mine for 40 years, for more than 40 years. And he, his son and I are very good friends. His son is a, a posek in Yerushalayim today, and we're, and we're very close. Um, and he, and, and he Reb Chaim Lifshitz, was a Talmud Muvak, a very close Talmud of, of uh, Rabbi Yaakov, Yaakov Weinberg, who was the Sri Daesh. So he went to Montreux, I think for health reasons, he, was, he had asthma. And as a young boy, they advised that he goes to learn in the yeshiva in Montreux. And there he learned and became a very close Talmud of Rabbi Chiyah Weinberg, so much so that some of the tshuvas in the Sri Daesh are actually written by, by Rabbi Chaim Lifshitz and signed by Rabbi Chiyah Weinberg. 
he did, he did some of the chuvas on, on his behalf. Um, and at the same time that he was there, he learned psychology by Piaget, the great psychologist, the expert in child development. And Reb Chaim Lifshitz was my Rebbe in, in Musr and Machshove, as well as in psychology. So I learned whatever little psychology I know from, from a Talmud Chochem, not from, not from a university. Uh, but he was, a, he was a student, a very close student of Piaget, and he was a Talmud Muvak of Rabbi Chiel Weinberg. Rabbi Chiel Weinberg is so interesting because he combined modernity with authentic literature terror. He was a Talmud of Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam. Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam was one of the three outstanding Talmudim of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. And that's one of my connections to Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, because through... Rabbi Chaim Lifshitz, to the Sri Daesh, to Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam, to the Bisroel Salanta. The other big Talmud of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was, um, was Rabbi Tzela Peterberger, who was my Rosh Hashiva's grandfather. Uh, and the third one was Rabbi Simcha Zisl Ziv of Kelm, who was my father's Rebbe, that's, that's Rabbi Yalopian's Rebbe, Rabbi Simcha Zisl of Kelm. He learned in Kelm and was influenced by Rabbi Simcha Zisl and his son. So that I got these three influences, very, very fortunate to have got influence from different people, from the three main Talmudim of, of Rabbi Sorol Salanta. Um, so he, Rabbi Chil Weinberg, had this influence. He was a Talmud of the altar of Slabotka as well, of Rabbi Nosson Tzvi Finkel. He was a Talmud of Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam. And he also then went to Western Europe. He went to Germany um, and was a Talmud of, of the whole approach of Rabbi Shimshon Raphael Hirsch. So we talked about the Oruch Lanayr two days ago. The Oruch Lanayr and Rabbi Shemesh Rafael Hirsch and, and the Basriel Hill designer that the modern approach that was developing in Western Germany, in, in Western Europe, in Germany, Rabbi Chiel Weinberg headed the seminary, the rabbinical seminary in Berlin, trained many, many modern rabbonim. So he has this, this modernity. And it's quite interesting that at his funeral, there were two groups of people. There was the Mizrahi crowd who arranged for him to be buried in Sanhedria in a Mizrahi kind of, Kind of, kind of area. And Reb Chatzko Sander, the, the head of, of Hebron Yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva of Hebron, sent out his Yeshiva in, in Masa to his funeral, and they diverted the funeral procession. And they took him to Haram Anuchos and buried him in the section that belonged to Reb Chatzko Sander's family. He said, Reb Chiel Weinberg is not going to be buried there. He's going to be buried close to the Gedolim of Lithuania because that's where he belongs. So you've got this, this struggle almost, and, and his life was a struggle. He's a complex person, lived a complex life. But he, has this, the, he was one of the first people to really struggle with modernity and the authentic literature approach. Rabbi Shimshon Hirsch was all in Western Europe, and, and, and some, but, the, uh, but Rabbi Chiel Weinberg had one foot in each, in each world. Um, and he writes a letter to a person by the name of... Uh, Rav Garbuz, and I didn't know much about Rav Garbuz other than that he was a Rosh Yeshiva in Yerushalayim in Ohel Torah. And Ohel Torah was a Yeshiva that was created by Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein and Rav Issa Zalman Meltzer. Rav Herzog used to give Shirim there, so it was an important Yeshiva. And he's a Rosh Yeshiva there and writes a parish on the Yerushalmi on Shkolim, which was important enough for Rabbi Chiel Weinberg to read through and this chuva of his that, we, that I'm learning with you from, which is chuva chelik aleph simen lamed tet, is a response to him, comments about his, about his work, where he disagrees with him and expands on some ideas, but it was obviously important enough for him to see. I also found that, the, that in 1947, the Lubavitcher Rebbe writes to the same Mechaber. Obviously, he had sent his sefer to various gedolim, and they were commenting, they wrote. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe also writes to him comments about his parish on, 
on Masech Um So he must have been an, an important person. Anyway, the Sri Daesh writes, he brings the Rambam, both Rambams, the first one and the second one, and then he says, Vedat HaRambam Yusedet Bisvara. The Rambam's view that it depends on whether you're being Ma'abir the year, whether you're making a leap year for social reasons or for halachic reasons, that's, he worked that out by logic. You want to know where's his source? He worked that out. She'ibu mipnei Because he holds that if you're doing it to keep Pesach in the spring, that's a Doraisa. That's a Torah law. She'chodesh nisan tzarich leot bizman ha'aviv. Ve'lachein i'efshar la'akor din ha'torah mipnei ha'drachim v'agsharim u'chiyetzebo. So now you can't say, well, we're not going to make it a leap year because uh, the, the roads are, are difficult to access or because people are having a difficult time economically. You can't mess with the Doraisa. But if you're making the leap year for other reasons, for social reasons, then it's not a Torah law. The Chachomim are entitled to make the, to make the Ibu. They, the Torah gives them that entitlement. But they're not doing it as an, as an act of a Doraisa. There's a, there's a communal need. This is a societal need. And the Chachomim have to consider the societal need. Then, then that's fine, but you can't do that if it's, if it's about communal need. Then you've got to, the most important communal need is people's survival, is people's economic uh, ability to make it out, to make it, to survive. You can't impinge on people's panosa because you're trying to fix some other social issue. If there's a Doraisa, the Torah requires that you make a leap year because Pesach has fallen out of spring, that's a Doraisa, and you've got to do it. Because in times of famine, there's no need, and on the contrary, you're causing damage by making a leap year. You're making Chodosh a longer period of time where you can't eat the new wheat, and that's going to affect the price of, of it and the availability of wheat. That's more harmful they're not being ma'abediyah. And shvi'is um, as well. It's going to affect the people's ability to bring the korbonos. And, and what will they do? They'll say, we've, we've got to be careful. We can't take all the wheat in the fields because we've got to bring the omer. That also creates economic pressure. So now they're not, they're not allowing you to touch the wheat that is available. The small amount that wheat, if wheat is available, you're putting away for the korban. And now again, the price goes up and the, and the more difficult it is to access. That you, that you can't do. So the Rambam introduces us, as, as Rabbi Gil Weinberg explains the Rambam so beautifully, the Rambam introduces us to these two different categories of regulation. If you're regulating for principle, for moral principle, for the Torah, then you can't mess around. You can't say, but we've, we've got to make considerations for people's convenience. But if you're regulating for for societal interests, so you're regulating for organizational interests, then you've got to take care of what of people's conditions. And the same applies. As I said, we're living in a time where this is at, at the forefront of people's attention. It's something that affects leaders of, of teams and businesses every day of their lives. It's there all the time. But right now, it's at the forefront of, of their interests. How do, do we impose on people regulations which we believe are in the interests of the organization um, if it's going to impinge negatively on people's lives. And you've got to at least be making that balance. And, and people need to feel that when you're making regulations, you're thinking about them. You're not just thinking about the organization. There's, there's an interest in the organization, questions of back to the office or not back to the office. Cultures of organizations are being destroyed by virtual work. 
Um, work ethics are being destroyed by, by integrity is being damaged by virtual work. On the other hand, there are people who don't feel safe and people who, for, for whatever reason, so balancing these needs. So what a leader has to do is to be very honest with him or herself. Why am I making this rule? Is it just for the organization? In which case, I've got to be think very carefully about how it impacts human lives. Or is it because morally I believe this is right? Questions of vaccination. If I believe morally nobody should come into the office unless they're vaccinated because this is Aconis nefoshis, that's what I believe, then I don't have to make consideration for human life. That's the rule and I make the rule. It's just a beautiful example of how through a very technical halacha of whether you make a leap year or you don't in the year of Shemitah, and it's, it's so relevant for this very year, how we learn from that principles of how to regulate when a regulation and human conditions have a tension with one another. Thank you.